Hey, everybody. Hey. <laughs> well, in our sermon time, we've been going through the Psalms, one Psalm at a time. We're in Psalm 12 uh, this morning. Psalm 11 was last week. Psalm 13 is next week. Psalm 12 today. So if you would, uh, turn in your worship guide. You have Psalm 12 printed there. Or if you have your Bible, if you'd like to use your own, or if you just like to listen, that's fine too. If you would, stand for the reading of God's Word. Psalm 12, for the director of music, according to the Shimoneth, the Psalm of David. Help, Lord, for no one is faithful anymore. Those who are loyal have vanished from the human race. Everyone lies to their neighbor. They flatter with their lips. They harbor deception in their hearts. May the Lord silence all flattering lips and every boastful tongue. Those who say, by our tongues we will prevail. Our own lips will defend us. Who is Lord over us? Because the poor are plundered and the needy groan. I will now arise, says the Lord. I will protect them from those who malign them. And the words of the Lord are flawless, like silver purified in a crucible, like gold refined seven times. You, Lord, will keep the needy safe and will protect us forever from the wicked who freely strut about when what is vile is honored by the human race. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord God, we want to thank you for your word. Thank you that, um, thank you that what we read here in the scriptures, it's not just an ancient text, but it's uh, living and powerful. It cuts to the heart. Thank you for Jesus. This text points us to, tells us about, helps us understand. God, this morning, I pray that you would help us as we study this psalm together to see how beautiful you are, how true you are, how good you are. And this time, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts here together would be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You guys can be seated. Okay, so Psalm 12. Let's just jump right into it. Psalm 12 it tells us in the title there that it's a Psalm of David. So remember, David is the shepherd king, the king of Israel, who's also sort of a spiritual leader, who's a humble king, spent the first part of his life as a shepherd. And then after he was anointed king, he was on the run for years and years and years from King Saul, who just wouldn't give up the throne. And then finally, uh, it was his turn after Saul died. He became the king of Israel. And David did some wonderful things. He did some terrible, terrible things also. So David's beauty as a psalmist is the, the, the right that he has to speak to us doesn't come from him, even though he was king. It comes from God. These are God's words, really, to us. 
So when we see Psalm of David, we should be reminded that this, what we're reading, they're human words from a, uh, from a very human king, but also, uh, these are words from God for his people, for our flourishing. So it's a Psalm of David. It is a, uh, for the director of music, which means it's a congregational psalm. This is designed for, uh, David wrote it, designed for the people of Israel to sing together. And it continues on as something that's designed for the church to sing. So it's a congregational psalm. And it's according to the Shimonith. Um, nobody knows exactly what that means. Uh, it's maybe Shimonith. I think we talked about this before with Psalm, uh, I believe it was Psalm 9. Uh, and maybe it's a musical term. Who knows? Um, so that's the title. Now, the actual text of the psalm, is, we can divide it into four parts. And I want to, what I want to do is I want to show you the four parts of the text of the psalm. And when we, when we look at them in order, we, part one, part two, part three, part four, we see that the psalm tells a story and that story is our story. And it gives us something beautiful at the end. So the four parts of Psalm 12. And there's, for those of you who are, you know, uh, well, if you like alliteration, they all start with the letter P. So. If you're a alliteration person, this is your day. So the four parts of Psalm 12, we have the problem, we have the petition, we have the provision, and we have the protection. I feel very preacher-like when I say four Ps in a row like that. Does that feel? feels very traditional sermon. Problem, petition, provision, protection. Okay, let's move on. Uh, the problem. This psalm is about a problem. The first section of the psalm is those first two verses. And King David is uh, telling us, or rather telling God, about a problem that he is facing, a problem that the people are facing. It goes like this. Help, Lord, for no one is faithful anymore. And those who are loyal have vanished from the human race. Everyone lies to their neighbor. They flatter with their lips, but harbor deception in their hearts. The problem. King David looked around at his community, at his people, and his family, his house. He looked around and he saw a huge problem. And that problem is that there was no faithful anymore. Nobody is faithful. Some translations say the faithful have vanished. Those who are loyal have vanished from the human race. And then the two-part problem, the faithful are gone. And then the second, everybody lies. Everybody lies. It's like David's saying, everyone, everywhere, everyone's a liar. And then it gets kind of local. Everyone lies to their neighbor. They flatter with their lips, but they harbor deception in their hearts. What comes out of their mouth is like, you know, beautiful, affirming type of language to one another. But in their hearts, they think something else. They harbor deception. That's a problem. No one is faithful. David looks around at his community, hoping to see faithful people of God Hoping to see, you know, the people of Israel loving each other, loving God and loving their neighbors. Instead, what he sees is that the faithful have vanished. Where did they go? We don't know. Uh, they're gone. And uh, everybody 
is a liar. Flattery, falsehood, harbor deception in their hearts. Uh, some translations say everyone has a double heart. Which I just removed this so I don't knock it. I, I love that image. Actually, I, I'm, I love it because you, it's the idea of somebody having being two-faced is one thing. We don't, you know, we don't like two-faced people. Nobody likes somebody who's one way over here and one way over here. But David says a double heart. Their two-facedness goes down to their very core. Now that's a problem. One of the, if you get the weekly email every week in the weekly email, there's a pastoral note, a little letter from me. Uh, you should be just waiting on the edge of your seat every Friday to receive this because it is just so good. I'm, I'm flattering with my lips. Uh, but if you got the email this week, one of the things reflecting on Psalm 12 we talked about in the email is that a uh, disturbing villain in the Lord of the Rings, if you read the books or watched the movies, uh, either counts today. And we won't judge one another for having done one without the other. Um, but one of the most disturbing villains in Lord of the Rings, at least in my opinion, is Grima, son of Galmod, uh, better known as Wormtongue. You guys remember the character Wormtongue? Wormtongue was an evil, lustful, cowardly man who served as the advisor to the king of Rohan, King Theoden. Do you remember the scene in the movies where Gandalf and company, they come in, they're seeking, they want to uh, solicit help from uh, the riders of Rohan, you know, to fight against uh, Sauron, Saruman and their evil orc armies. They go in, wait, looking for help, and they go in and King Theoden is there just on his throne, covered in cobwebs, just paralyzed and entranced by the flattering, lying words of his advisor, Wormtongue. Remember that? And as soon as you watch it or you read it, and there's something about Wormtongue that just drives us crazy. Everyone in that great hall in Rohan knew that Wormtongue was evil, except the king, except the person who had the power to expel him. And the king was uh, frozen and paralyzed by Wormtongue because Wormtongue's lives were cloaked in flattery. What David is saying here, I think if David was a Lord of the Rings fan, I think if he was alive today, he definitely would be. Uh, that's just my guess. David is saying Wormtongue is everywhere. Everybody's Wormtongue. And he's saying, Theoden, the one who should be faithful, the ones who should be strong, the ones who have the power to expel the worm tongue, gone. That's the problem. I wonder if you can relate to David here. Have you ever been in a place, maybe you're in this place right now, where you look around at your friends, your family, your community, uh, the culture, and you could say, the faithful have gone. Everybody's a liar. Um, you know, when life gets hard and we find people 
getting in the way of our own sense of security and significance and people cut us off in traffic and people don't exactly tell the truth and things get messy in our relationships. It's easy to say, ah, people stink. But this goes farther than that. David is saying people are the problem in the world. Everybody is a liar. You know, I, as I, one of the things in, in the weekly email, we, um, another commercial for the weekly email, uh, sometimes we put questions in there that help you reflect on the text, prepare, prepare for Sunday. And one of the questions this week was, where do you see falsehood and flattery around you in your life? It was something like that. So I, I've been reflecting. What are the places in my life where I feel like David, where I would say, you know, everybody's falsehood and flattery, faithful or gone, everybody's a liar. And immediately for me, I thought about um, a thing that's going on in our culture. Um, many of us get our news from one of these, right? We That's how I get my news. I flip over to my news feed and scroll through. And, you know, these things, uh, they don't exactly give you the news in unbiased form, do they? No, something, some computer somewhere out there, uh, some evil villain supercomputer. <laughs> I'm just joking. Well, maybe it is. Uh, we don't know. Uh, tracks everything that you look at, everything that you like on social media, everything that you do, and, and then gets a profile on who it thinks that you are and then curates your news curates the ads, everything to flatter you. What kind of thing does Charlie want to look at today? Well, uh, we saw that, you know, the other day he had he had Googled something about uh, looking for a new billfold, a new wallet. Now, all of a sudden, ads for new wallets are everywhere. We saw the other day he read an article from this particular news outlet, from this particular political slant, and now everything on his phone is coming from that angle. I think about the flattery of how we get our information in our phones. Think about the news, how we have, depending on what station you like, or what news outlet you like. We get different perspectives on things that are very much informed by culture wars and political ideologies. I was on the phone with a family member this last week, and I said, you know, just casually talk, did you see this thing that happened in the news? And that family member said, yeah, but did you see this thing? And I realized, oh, we were watching two different news outlets. Which one of us got the real story? Think about, especially on social media, how we uh, very often uh, get our information from experts. You know, the experts say, well, who are the experts? I don't know. You know what I'm talking about? When I look around and I, I see our, what's interesting is that we have, in, on, on whatever side you're, you like your news on, you know, conservative or liberal, left or right, or whatever. Uh, UK or American, you know, whatever. Uh, it seems like whatever side somebody likes, they, they're always crying fake news to the other side. And this, this gets into our culture. And we see even in uh, some of our political tensions in our culture, just assuming the worst of one another. 
And part of that has to do with the fact that we only get the worst information from the other side because of the way our system seems to work. I think about that, and I think falsehood and flattery. But that's not the only area this factors in. Friendships, families, I think we all can empathize with David when he says, everybody lies. You know, the interesting thing about this, about David David framing this problem to me, as much as I hone in on that everybody lies, uh, you know, falsehood and flattery, look at look at the world, look how ter- look how look how terrible the culture is. As much as it's easy for me to get harping on that train, and even though David mentions that, he doesn't identify the rise of corrupt culture as the root of the problem. Does he? No. I'll re- read it again. He says, Help, O Lord, for no one is faithful anymore. Those who are loyal have vanished from the human race. Everyone lies to their neighbor. They flatter with their lips, harbor deception in their hearts. David attributes this everybody lies business not to the rise of the left or the right or them or whoever or the big bad secular culture. He doesn't attribute it to the rise of those groups. He attributes the everybody lies problem to the failure and to the disappearance of the faithful people of God. No one is faithful anymore. The loyal have vanished. And it's almost like we can put in a, therefore, everybody lies. Everybody flatters. Every heart is harboring deception. You know, Jesus referred to the people of God as the light of the world. You probably heard that the people of God are supposed to be a city on a hill. By the way, city on a hill is something that the Bible says about the people of God, not something the Bible says about America, just in case you, you didn't know that. The church, in David's day, what they called, what we would call the church, the people of Israel, supposed to be lights, like on a hill that couldn't be hidden, shining source of faithfulness, holding back the dark. Holding back corruption, a source of truthfulness and integrity. Holding back the tide of deception in the world. And David looks around and says, everybody lies because the church had failed to do its job. You know, for some of us, our deepest wounds, for some of us, our deepest wounds have come from the rise of some sort of corrupt culture. Many of us have been hurt um, by people or systems that have come out of godless ideologies. But I'm willing to bet, if I was a betting man, which I'm not, I'd be willing to bet that more people in this room have been hurt by the failure, not of secular persons and ideologies and systems, but from Christian persons and so-called Christian ideologies and systems. 
We're not going to, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you have been terribly hurt by the church, but if I did, I think we'd have a lot of hands. I know my hand would be up. So many of us have been hurt because the church, when it was supposed to be there as a shining light, was not. And this is David in Psalm 12. And that's the problem. So David's problem, surprise, it's a problem we share. So what comes next in the psalm? We have the problem, and the next, the next two verses are the petition. David prays. He cries out to God about the problem. He, he brings his petition to the Lord. He says, may the Lord silence all flattering lips in every boastful tongue. Those who say by our tongues we will prevail, our own lips will defend us. Who is Lord over us? David cries out to God and says, God, these people, the ones who are trying to win in life by the power of their corrupt and deceitful tongues, silence them. That, the fact that David does this, it, it's a it's a really really good reminder for us on about what we should do when we become overwhelmed with the problems in our life and in the world. I, I know that maybe this is just me and my family and friends. Maybe this is just the uh, the, the culture that I'm that I'm get uh, come up on my algorithm on my phone, but I, it seems to me that we are the kind of people that when there's a problem in the world, we just want to get after it and talk about it and fix it and and do it ourselves. We we are people that are that are ready for combat. We want to get out there and we want to we want to talk bad about our opponents. We want to do something. We want to volunteer. We want to say the right thing. We want to get in there and we want to fix it. And that can be really good, but it's good for us to remember that before David starts to try to address the problem of the failure of the people of God and the, the rise of flattery and lies in his culture, before any of that, he starts with crying out to God. And he says, Lord, you got to do it. Last week in Psalm 11, we, we talked about what it means to look to God as our refuge. What it means to go, like like we would run, if it starts pouring raining and we're outside, we run under an awning or a covering to cover ourselves from the rain. We talked about how God is our covering. And finding our refuge in him means, means believing and holding on to the truth that he is powerful and that he is good and that he is working. We go to him first. And that's what David is doing here. He's going straight to God with the problem. He doesn't start with, what can I do? He starts with, what can God do? That's a good reminder for us. We should pay attention to that. So we have a problem. We have a, you know, foolishness and flattery and lies um, abound because the people of God have ceased to be faithful. And then we have David's petition. He's crying out to God. You see, this is, there's kind of a story happening here. And then what happens next? God answers. We have the provision. Problem, petition, provision. You know, this is one of the few songs in all 150. There's only a handful where God talks back. 
to the psalmist. And he, so God answers here. He says, look at verse five. He answers David, because the poor are plundered and the needy groan, I will now arise. Some translations say, now I will arise. I will protect them from those who malign them. And then David reflects. He says, the words of the Lord are flawless. Like silver purified in a crucible. Like gold refined seven times. This is God's provision. David looks, gives an honest look at the world around him. He cries out to God, what is God going to do? And God answers. And what God says he is going to do is he is going to step in because people, specifically the poor and the needy, are being plundered and are groaning. So he's not going to sit back anymore. Now he's going to arise. And then David says, oh, the words of the Lord are pure words. Like silver purified in a crucible, like gold refined seven times. Folks, God's cure for the unfaithfulness of the church. God's cure for the rise of corrupt culture in the world. While contrasting the impurity of the people of God, he offers the cure of the pureness of his word. Contrasting the cheap flattery of the culture, God steps in with his invaluable gold and silver-like word. And contrasting the pattern of the culture to elevate those who can talk their way out of whatever God steps in and gives his word to poor, needy, plundered people. There's a problem in the world. The church has failed to be a light. The culture has gone to falsehood and flattery. Everything stinks. Everybody's corrupt. We cry out to God, God, what are you going to do? And God steps in with his word. To rescue the people at the bottom. To give relief to those who cry out. In John chapter 5, we read about Jesus having a sort of a verbal altercation with corrupt religious leaders. With, the, we could say, the failed church leaders of his day. He's having a a talk with them. And what he tells them is that the words that he speaks are God's words. And these are the kind of words that one day dead people will hear and they will come to life. He tells these corrupt religious leaders, he says, you think you know your Bibles. You try to use it for your Whatever it is you're doing. But you completely missed the point. He says, my word raises the dead. You know, when Jesus was talking to the corrupt religious leaders in that text, he was 
he was, I, I wonder if he was thinking about Psalm 12. I don't know. I, I do believe that at least he was thinking about the message of Psalm 12, that God's word is the answer and the power uh, for our failed religion and for our failed culture. God's word is the answer. I believe that was on Jesus's mind. Because the people that he was speaking to are people who knew their Bibles, but had stripped the Bible of its power by using it the wrong way. And Jesus says, we just don't get it. Pastor Charlie, what are you getting at here? It's this. Folks, the answer for the brokenness in our church and in this world is the word of God. And before we stand up and we say, oh, I know the word of God. I know my Bible. Let me use it for what I want you to do. We need to go all the way back and ask the question, wait a second. Before we just jump to what we think we know, how all this works out, we need to go back to what the scriptures themselves identify as God's word. Because whatever that is, is the answer for all of these problems that we're facing. Well, according to Jesus, he tells these religious leaders all about God's word that's supposed to raise the dead. And then he says, you you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. And these are the scriptures that testify about me. And yet you refuse to come to me and have life. And John chapter 1, verse 14, it says this about the Son of God. It says that he is the word who became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. In the first chapter of the book of Hebrews, it says that in these last days, God has spoken to us. By his son, who he has appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. Folks, we live in a world with deep problems. We cry out to God, what are we going to do? And God answers with his word. What is the word of God? Better yet, who is the word of God? The word of God is Jesus Christ. He is the living word of God. And the word of God is the scriptures that bear testimony to him. The written word. So, did you know that it is possible to have something that you might call God's word, but completely miss the word of God in it? The word of God that it communicates. This is what Jesus said to the corrupt religious leaders of his day. You have Moses, but you missed me. And it's all about me. So, the church has failed. The culture is corrupt. We cry out to God. 
And God answers, he says, I'm coming for you plundered people, specifically the ones at the bottom. And I'm coming with my word. It's like gold. It's like silver. It's pure and it's flawless. And folks, that word is living. It's Jesus Christ. And we find him here in this word, the word of God. That is God's provision for our need. God's provision for the poor and the plundered. God's provision for those who have been hurt. Folks, if you have been hurt by a corrupt church, if you have been hurt by a corrupt culture, God has a healing balm for you. It is his word, and that is Jesus Christ, and you can find him here for anyone who would have him. That is God's provision. But that's not the end of the psalm. We have, at the end, we have the problem, we have the uh, petition, we have the provision, it's Jesus, and we have, last, the protection. Verse 7 and 8. You, O Lord, keep the needy safe. You will protect us forever from the wicked who freely strut about when what is vile is honored by the human race. Folks, it's a little sobering that this psalm doesn't end in verse 6. With here arrives the word of God. Jesus in his beauty, silver, gold, purity for riches for the poor, uh, provision for those who are needy, the truth in a world of falsehood. Here he is. It doesn't end there. It ends with... Uh, the wicked freely strut about when one is vile is honored by the human race. Why does David end on a down note? And I believe that the answer is this. Because finding our refuge in Jesus, the word of God. Finding our truth in the scriptures, the word of God is not something that we do one time and then everything for the rest of life is all rainbows and butterflies. It is something that we do every single day. Jesus, the word of God, is our not only our provision for our need, but our ongoing protection because he has called us not to escape from this corrupt world, but to live in it as the faithful people of God. If the world has gone to corruption because the city on a hill church has failed, then what God does for us is he gives us his living light, his word, Jesus Christ, his word, the scriptures, so that we can go back into the world and now we can live as the faithful people of God without being afraid of the culture. We don't have to be afraid. We have Jesus Christ. Protecting us. We don't have to be afraid of lies. We stand on the truth. We don't have to be afraid of being plundered. You can plunder us all day long and we could never lose our treasure. And we could go back in, city on a hill. For anyone who would come. For anyone who would say, I gotta get out of these lies. Come to Jesus, the truth. Where do you find him? Here, with us, let me show you.
That's what we're called back into. This doesn't end with escaping to glory. It ends with glory coming to live in our minds, our hearts, and our words. So that glory could be offered to anyone who would come. Do you see it? So this psalm tells a story. Tells the story of God's work in the world. Through his word, Jesus Christ speaking into our darkness to bring light, speaking to dead to bring it to life. And the story of how that word goes to live in our hearts so that we as his people can be the continuing agents of God in the world. His mouthpiece, the ones who speak his truth. So I want to end with just a word of invitation. If you resonate with David's problem, everybody lies. Everything's corrupt. The church has failed. If that rings your bell, then I want to invite you to cry out to God. Receive his provision and his protection for you. His word, Jesus Christ. You might say, Charlie, I've received Jesus. I'm walking with him. We're here in just a moment. You're going to have a chance to come and receive him again. Not because his power fades away or because you lose your, no, but because he always stands as God's living word for your ears. Come to Jesus today with all your heart. Receive his free gift of provision and protection. You might say, Charlie, uh, that's great. I've heard preachers talk about this stuff before. Uh, I've never really done this opening my life to Jesus Christ business. And I want to say to you, thank you for being here. You are welcome here. Uh, we want this to be a safe place for all people to come and explore what Jesus is all about. But I want to invite you today, especially here in just a moment when we come to this table, I want to invite you. Whatever it means for you to try to listen, to see if God's word is speaking to you in this moment. Jesus is knocking on your door. Jesus is saying, hey, today's the day. See what he has to say. Open your heart to him. So we have a choice. We can cling and be rescued by the truth. Or we can just continue looking for truth somewhere else in a world of flattery. Come awake. Come to Christ. You who are needy, poor, and plundered by the lies in the world, Jesus is for you. He is silver and gold. He is pure. He is strong. He is a rescuer. He is a provider. He is the faithful people of God. Let's pray.